Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds on Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. Hi there. By now, you've probably heard me talk about my new book, Love Every Day. It will be out in the world in October, but you can pre-order it any time before then. And let me tell you a little something. Pre-ordering is one of the best ways you can support authors and their new books. Why? More pre-orders equals more buzz about the book, and more buzz means reaching even more readers. Because of this, I really want to thank anyone who has already pre-ordered or who will pre-order Love Every Day by offering them two free gifts. You can sign up to receive these goodies by heading to the link in the show notes of this episode or by visiting loveeverydaybook.com. You're going to fill out a quick little form with your proof of a pre-order purchase, like a screenshot of your e-receipt, plus your mailing address and your email. And then you will receive a complimentary Love Everyday journal in the mail. It's so beautiful. And a digital reader's guide in your email inbox. Both of these will arrive in mid-October, right when you're receiving your Love Every Day book. The journal is going to be the perfect place for you to jot down your thoughts and reflections as you read, and the digital reader's guide is full of discussion questions that you can use to spark solo reflection or to spur conversation in a book club, for example. Plus, the reader's guide includes the Love Every Day playlist with some of my favorite songs that celebrate growth, healing, and connection. To learn more about this offering, click the link in the show notes or head to loveeverydaybook.com. If you have questions about the pre-order gifts, email info at dralexandrasolomon.com for support from our team. Thank you so much. Hi there. I hope that you're doing well as the summer comes to a close. Late August can be such a tender season. There's back to school, there are shifts in activities, there are vacations that are winding down, and there are new beginnings in the air. I know that I am certainly feeling this tenderness in my own life this year. We have just dropped our youngest child, our daughter, off at college, and my husband Todd and I are officially empty nesters. Oh my goodness. It's a huge milestone in the life of our little family system. And it's a moment that contains so many both ands. Tell you what, I am being challenged to walk my talk. I am full of immense pride for our daughter, who I know is going to continue to become more and more of her amazing self while she's away at school. And I'm full of all kinds of grief, knowing that one of my favorite people on earth is not going to be living in our house anymore, that she'll be creating a new world that we're not going to be so much a part of, and that we're letting her go. 
I've, of course, been processing this transition alongside Todd, and he has his own experience of this time in the life of our family that is in some ways similar to mine and in some ways quite different. So I thought that it would be a great opportunity for us to record a conversation together as we navigate through this period as a couple. And what we know to be true is that all couples go through life stage transitions together and that these times pose both challenges and opportunities for deep connection, for recalibration, for clarifying who you are and what you're about. So in this episode, Todd and I are reporting to you from the trenches in real time as we think about this new chapter and feel our way into all of what it means and reflect on the experiences we've had as parents up until this point. So I hope this episode feels helpful and illuminating for you, especially if you're a parent or especially if you are currently experiencing a major life change of your own. We will get into all of that right now. Hi, Todd. Good afternoon. (laughs) I'm so glad that we're here together in the studio again. I'm thrilled to be back. Are you? Yes. Good. Oh, good. It was a lot of fun last time. Yeah. Well, this is our second ever podcast. And as you know, we were, I was taking a peek, you know, at the records. And the first podcast stands out as one of the most listened to episodes ever. You are standing among giants with how many people have listened to the podcast, the first one. That's very surprising, (laughs) but I do have a theory on why that might be. You have a theory? I have a theory. About why people like the podcast? I think it's not, and the theory is that it has nothing to do with me, but I think your popularity is based on the wisdom you share, of course, but I think people like getting to know you, Mm. and I think having me on was a glimpse into you. I can't imagine with anything I said. Hmm. Um, so that is my theory. Okay. Well, I like your theory. Well, good. I, I think that you deserve also, yeah, I think there's something something that was that was powerful and touching about you as a husband showing up to support me. And you, I mean, I think you showed up with a lot of like courage and vulnerability and openness and all the things that we love that the people just who love. Just tried to be myself. Yeah. But no, I think it's like meeting okay. your hero in the airport or whatever. <laughs> and when they're really nice, um, that's a little jolt. So people really respect you and look up to you. And when they get a glimpse into you personally and, and there's something that resonates about it or something that they like, I think that's affirming for them. Kind of like when you see a celebrity and they're nice to you versus when you see them and they're jerky to you. Um, hopefully it was sort of like, wow, she's normal and she has problems like everybody else and she works through them. and. That kind of thing. I think that's compelling to people that experts are not perfect people either. And we talked, I think, a lot about a lot of things that might have been things other people identified with, which I'm sure helps them. Yeah. Well, our timing is um, particular today. So we, I asked you to come back on the show today because we are in a season of like kicking our booty transitions. We have a little bit going on. (laughs) We have a couple things going on. And so that's going to be our theme for today's conversation is talking about transitions. And we are reporting from the trenches. We're we're in the throes of it. So yeah, I remember when we were young parents, I'm sure it was you who did some math, you ran some numbers, and you realized that the summer slash fall of 2023 was going to be when a lot of shit came together. So July 2023, I turned 50, which happened. Hooray. Officially. Doing great so far. (laughs) Century old. You will turn 50. You will join me soon. Soon enough, yep. And we'll have our 25th wedding anniversary, end of the month. And our baby is about to fly out of the nest. So we've got Brian is about to turn 21. That's more a milestone for him than for us, really. But um, it's a little milestone for us, too. Yeah, right. Being a kid who's 21. But yes, that's true. More for him. That's true. But yes, all of that within 60 day period, basically. Yeah. Anniversary, two birthdays, third birthday, if you count 21. Mm-hmm. Launch two kids to college or one back and the other one for the first time. Yeah. All within 45 days, I think it is. So <laughs> maybe it's closer to 60, but it's not a lot. Yeah. So we're, this episode, is going to come out on our anniversary, but we're recording it right now, nine days before we drive Courtney to Ann Arbor. 
So we're, <laughs> we're in it. We're right in it right now. And so some of what we're going to say about empty nesting is really just going to be hypotheses and sure. imaginings. We don't really know yet. We're going to find out. What it's going to be, but apparently we're going to find out. And... Um, just like I did last time, my team and I put some, um, like put opened up questions on Instagram and the Instagram community as always showed up with some interesting questions and that helped me kind of guide how I'm hoping our conversation can go today. I've woven those in. And I think the biggest, like the big framing is that when we're talking about transitions, I think about transitions the way I think about all the kind of like juicy knots that we talk about on the podcast about how there are intrapsychic pieces, like there's a me piece, there's stuff happening inside of me, there's stuff happening inside of you. Then there's relational pieces, like what's happening to the two of us as a couple, how our relationship is being affected by all these transitions that we're going through. And then the third is the cultural piece, like sort of how, what are the cultural narratives and themes or myths or ideas that are shaping how you're feeling, how I'm feeling, and how we're feeling. So that's my that's how I'm focusing us today is we're going to talk about how you're doing. We're going to talk about how I'm doing. We're going to take a look at how we think we're doing. And um, and hopefully, you know, there are pieces and parts of this that will land for the listener and that they can hold up against their own experiences of, of transition and um, feel supported. Because really all we're doing right now is just making sense of it as we go. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you a question? 100%. So w- the, you said intrapsychic and then what was the second one? Interpersonal, interpersonal. or relational. Mm-hmm. So is it possible for the interpersonal to be independent of the intrapsychic or are they always related? In other words, if one person is doing very badly, can the couple still be doing very well? Or if both people are doing very badly or does that, like are they related? I don't. I've never thought about the concept, but is that uh, is that a mathematical equation, or is it just every situation is different? I, for me, I can't. I can't imagine a situation where if one person is kind of scooting along fine and the other person is struggling, that their dance as a couple isn't affected by that. Like I think it's that's when I'm teaching it, I call it the golden equation of love. This idea of like my stuff plus your stuff right. equals our stuff. So the so how we're doing is is shaped wholly by how I'm doing plus how you're doing. Okay. Got it. What do you think? That's that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's not really yeah, the us, the us is the me plus the you. And I think that we're constantly kind of pinging off of each. I mean, I think we're having our own I ask because I expect you personally won't be doing very well after <laughs> after we drop off Courtney. So it was a bit of a, a selfish ask. So like if you're doing badly, I'm just wondering what does that mean for us? Well, that's so a good that question, was, right? So if I'm not doing well, then yeah, there's no there's no world in which me not doing well isn't going to isn't going to affect you. Okay, good. So I'll just plan for that. But it doesn't mean you have to sink down with me. Right. But it means you're going to be affected. It's going to shape, right. yeah, it's going to shape what we are available for as a couple if one of us, <laughs> say, can't get out of bed. <laughs> you think I'm going to be the one who's going to uh, be? No, I think we'll both be quite affected just in different ways. I think I'm a little more, resilience, not the right word, but just a little more pretend everything's normal kind of thing. So I don't know that we'll, it'll be so easy to tell how I'm doing either way. For you, you wear it more obviously. So if you're not doing well, I think everybody will know that or we'll see it. Sure. <laughs> like sure. you said, you're more likely to not get out of bed, for example. Yeah, that'll be noticeable. I will get out of bed. I'm sure I'll go to work and I'll fall apart in different ways. Right. We just wear things differently. Well, and even that, right? Like, I mean, one hypothesis. Or maybe I won't get out of bed. I don't know. We, maybe nobody gets. Maybe that's maybe that's part maybe of empty nesting. Is that we bed. just sometimes don't right, get out of bed. Right, we, just we just order yeah. pizza and stay in bed. Stay in bed. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, and you tell me what you think. I wonder if there are. I know that there are times when my emotional reaction is such that that you don't perhaps get to choose your reaction from an open plane of possibility, right? If I'm having a re- like, for example, when we dropped Brian, <laughs> we dropped Brian off, right, and we drove. You know, you drove away. My, re- I was having a really like an instant, really big reaction. Right. And there wouldn't have been, I don't know how there 
could have been space for you to have for you to choose your reaction from an open plane of possibilities. Right. You know. Of course. Well, I think that's the intra-psychic versus the interpersonal. Mm-hmm. Is that you're still you know if I was by myself, I might have a totally different reaction. But you're with somebody else, and if that somebody else is falling apart, right? It, it's not. It's not really very kind to not attend to that or mm-hmm. try to say maybe there's something I can do to relieve the situation or help you feel better or if I start having the same big reaction, is that really going to help? Um, right. So yeah, I definitely think there was part of me that modulated. Part of me, I think, just sort of felt it in different ways or at different times, you know, day or two later, you know, just rather than at that time. So I don't think I was wanting to have a different reaction than I did. But sure, I'm sure part of it was. Mm-hmm. Better keep it together because A, somebody has to drive the car. Sure. For example, and B, you know, is that really going to help when you're having a, you know, big reaction? Mm-hmm. For me to also have a big reaction because um, we're a team, right? Yeah. We're both trying to get through it together. So if somebody's struggling, it's better if the other person's not. Yeah. I think. Yeah. But then what, the thing that I would, the thing that I ought to in this, in this moment talking, you know, me being the one having the bigger reaction, the person in my spot then I think has a relational obligation then to keep an eye out for when is the time that I can have my feet a bit more on the ground and let you have some more room right. to have a reaction. Yeah, I'm sure that's right. I'm sure nobody would want to be partnered long term with somebody who always was the person to have the big reaction. That would be challenging, I think. Mm-hmm. That, you know, everybody has to have room to be the one who's more mad about something or more sad about something right. sometimes, mm-hmm. even if somebody leans one way more mm-hmm. than the other. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about like the me part and the you part. Okay. And as we do, one of the questions that had come up was somebody had asked, like, what do you think the differences are between how a husband experiences an emptiness transition and how a wife does? And so let's keep an uh, let's kind of notice perhaps ways that gender is shaping our transition, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's a bit tricky because we're never going to tease apart gender from role, from personality, and we want to be careful to not make sweeping statements about husbands right. and wives. We don't want to be exclusive of same-sex couples who are experiencing right. emptiness stuff. So, But we could listen, you know, just keep an ear for the gender pieces of it. Okay. Um, so how are you doing? <laughs> I was going to ask, so will you start by just talking a little bit about like what's coming up for you around this transition? Like what are you noticing so far about what's coming up inside of you around us emptying this nest of ours? Okay. Um, the positive side is that I'm very excited for Courtney. Um, she's going to Michigan, which is where we both went, which is a very special place in I think both of our hearts, maybe a little more me um, mm-hmm. due to some athletic affiliation <laughs> that I care deeply about, um, although it's a special place for both of us. So I think there's something uniquely very fun and cool about the fact that not only is she going, but that's where she's going. Mm-hmm. And she'll have her own experience there. And it's changed a lot, but in some ways it hasn't changed. And kind of the alumni network or just being part of that club, it's just fun to think about the fact that she's joining a club that we were in yeah. um, or we still are in. That's just kind of not something I thought would mean so much, but when presented with it, it just does. It's just fun. It's mm-hmm. it's it's makes me giddy to think about. So that's the positive. And I think she's going to do great. Um, I think she's going to enjoy it. I think she's ready for it. It all feels natural and normal. The timing feels right. Um, I can envision being apprehensive about how is this going to go. I don't feel any of that. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to go just fine or just the way it should go. Um, Wait, one second right there. Yeah. That's that's an example, I think, of a time when I kind of held the space for your reaction was when we were at orientation. So we went to orientation like about mm-hmm. like a month ago. Mm-hmm. And it was— I was more excited well, than you were. Yeah. It was so cool. And it was—right. Yeah. It was obviously really cool for both of us to be there. But like you're saying, you've taken her to a football game— Pretty much every year since she was, what, five, yeah, six, seven? Yeah, or at seven. least to the town, maybe not always to the game, but yeah. yes, but yes, for a dozen years probably. Yeah. And it was just like, I very quickly that morning, like we said goodbye to her, she had her student track, we had our parent track, and it very quickly came together for me like, ah, oh, I get this. Like my job in this day is just to kind of hold center while you, I mean, I don't even think your feet were like touching the mm-hmm. ground. Like you were just so 
happy and mm-hmm. so peaceful and like like you said giddy like you were mm-hmm. like somewhere between giddy and peace like just blissfully peaceful the mm-hmm. entire time and i was like i understand who i am on this day like right. i'm just kind of taking it all in and letting you be as expansive as you right. really were feeling and that was so fun mm-hmm. i mean i think it is one of the most Oh God! Here come the tears. <laughs> Too early. For that. I think one of the right. I think one of the coolest things about like raising both of our kids, but mm-hmm. I think especially getting to watch you with Courtney mm-hmm. is like having like grown up with a dad. Like my my dad was part of my life always, yeah. but my parents were divorced, and so he was. It was a very much like seventies and eighties situation where he was in every other weekend, right. Friday to Sunday, and I just I never felt like a kind of authority with him Mm -hmm. and from the time she was a baby she just like had you wrapped around her finger in the best of ways right Mm -hmm. just like how much you adore her comes through like so readily and how entitled and authorized she feels to ask of you to be silly with you to be you know to kind of have her own sense of self with you Mm -hmm. and um that's one one of the coolest parts and so that like there were moments i have a picture of a moment when it was like, I don't even know if the two of you knew where I was. We were like walking around campus orientation. Like the two of you were, you know, in your own conversation. And I don't even know if you knew where I was. And it was so okay, right? Like right. I was in totally in the background, totally faded back. And the two of you were having this. And it was just, I knew where my place was. And it was a really wonderful sense of feeling not important, like not not the middle of it at that right. moment. It was so great. So great. I love that she gets to have that experience with you and that you get to have that experience right. with her. No, I think that's very important to have that with all of your kids, in our case, both of our kids. There are, yeah, there are just some places or times or things that are just ours and not yours and vice, many mm. more vice versa with you, but there just has to be that level. I mean, that's the only thing that's important to me is that level of connection or you know, creating that space with each kid and each kid is different, very different. Mm -hmm. So it's just different stuff. But yeah, there's certain things that I think everybody knows is our thing. Mm -hmm. And maybe that is, again, like you went there too. It's your school too. But again, you know, maybe it's the power of sports, but there there is always a little bit of a thing that it's a little more mine than it's yours. And that just exists. And just like prom night was a little more yours than it was mine, you know, that I was taking a little backseat to the pictures and things. Yeah. There are just things that line up with whether it's interests or skills or all of the above. Yeah, maybe that was just something that felt like ours. Yeah. And I was. I was over the moon to be there. I think it was... It's it's a midlife. We're just squarely in this midlife thing, and I'm very reflective these days of where we are in our lives. And you know, and you're sitting in an auditorium that you sat in when you were 17, sitting next to the person you were sitting next to when you were 17, who you weren't married to then, and now you're married. And I'm making <laughs> jokes during the lecture and making you laugh during the lecture, and that's what I used to do 33 years ago. <laughs> and it's a place that feels uniquely mine. Ann Arbor, Michigan is my, one of my favorite places in the world and it feels uniquely mine. And I'm wearing a name tag that says guest of Courtney Solomon. <laughs> Everything about it was just like like being in an episode of This Is Your Life, yeah. um, which is going to date me for the people who have <laughs> never heard of it. Google it. Um, and just seeing your life kind of unfold in front of you like as if I was a spectator in some ways. I was sort of sitting outside of my body appreciating how cool it was to be there for Courtney's orientation Mm -hmm. and to be with you sitting there. And then we had lunch in our dorm where we literally grew up together. And that's where they put us for lunch. And it's a, you know, there's not that many dorms on campus with food. So it wasn't crazy coincidental, but that is sort of crazy because it's coincidental. And that's where we get sent to go to lunch at the place we met. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, it's almost too much to to absorb. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. And she did such a good job. Remember, she she said, okay, so today you're welcome to tell me any stories you want about right. the time that this was your school. Right. But then <laughs> we're cutting it off and then yep. it becomes my school. So yes. it was, you know, and, and that's I so important love that. for us. I love I it too. I want that to be, yeah, I, I never want it to be, you know, Courtney has to go there so she can live our experience. It's going to be very different. Mm-hmm. Everything's very different. The thread is it's just a uniquely great place with people who are really, really happy to be there. Yeah. And it's a great educational institution. So mm-hmm. it's all lined up to be a very positive experience. But right, I think we've always been clear that 
It's not somewhere she has to go or has to want to go. I think she just wanted to go because she wanted to go. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's a cool place to be. Yeah. Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you. Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Kraftchik and UA Shu. Julie and UA bring a sense of humor to their insightful explorations of all things dating, turning matches into actual dates, the psychology of relationships, red flags, attachment styles, and so much more. I am proud to have been a guest on their podcast three times. So if you're looking for a great starting point, check out my latest episode with them when you're ready and they're not. I'll put a link at the bottom of the show notes. Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so that's all to say that on the positive, you're feeling like calm. Yep. You feel a sense of just kind of trust. This is unfolding in a in a way that I have you no feel apprehension really... about it. Yes, yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, then it's not negative, but the tougher stuff is some of the you know things that the finality of the chapter of our lives that that nothing's final, and you have to remind yourself of that that you never stop parenting kids um, and you never stop seeing them, but the finality of living in a household where there's a kid living there at all times, other than I guess maybe we'll have some summers, but even those are just different and weird, that that the chapter is closing and it's just a big thing for that chapter to be closing. Um, and it's a lot to get one's mind around. And I'm very, I guess, reflective on that mostly in a very positive way, but it, it's just a lot to think about that chapter closing and then all the stuff that comes along with just getting your mind around that. So, you know, and this is a terrible, because I did think about this part because you told me we were going to talk about transition. So this is the only thing I sort of was thinking about how I wanted to answer this. And to me, the the metaphor that comes up both kind of negative leaning and positive leaning. And it's a terrible metaphor because it's um, <laughs> way more, you know, grave and serious. And and I'm not trying to create a, an equivalency, but but the the scene, I'm a big movie fan, the scene sticks in my 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 mind. Um and it and it has aspects of exactly what I'm feeling. And mm-hmm. it is the last or towards the end of Schindler's List, the movie Schindler's List, okay. which I'm not trying to create a, an no, equivalency with right. anything that went there, but there's the scene when Schindler is standing by the train and um, Stern, his like right-hand man, is there and all the Jews that he saved are around and he they present him with like a letter thanking him, signed by, you know, everybody who he freed. And his reaction is like juxtapose against Stern's reaction. So he's saying there, he has like this whole, he like freak out basically as if he sort of hadn't thought about it until that moment as it's happening. And the freak out is, I think he says, I didn't, did I do enough? Mm-hmm. And he's panicking that he could have done more. And he like points to the car and he's like, why did I drive this car here? I could have sold that car. That would have been 10 or 120 more Jews. I don't remember the number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like panicking, panicking, panicking. And then all the people who he saved are standing there looking at him and being like, no, you saved us all. Yeah. And then Stern is standing there like two feet from him saying, but look what you did. Yeah. But you've done so much. He said, I didn't do enough. And then he says, but you've done so much. Yeah. And that to me is what I've been going through a little bit just at this last minute, just recently, like appreciating the finality. I'm like, did I do enough as a parent? And it and it's sometimes like little dumb things. Like Courtney was, we were at a family or like a, a gathering with friends last night, and <laughs> she was playing. They were playing poker for like either real money or fake money, yeah. and she did, sat out and watched and didn't play because she doesn't really know how to play well or right. Yeah, and that was the moment. I was like, how did I not teach her how to play poker? <laughs> and uh, stuff like that. Or how am I? 
sending her to Michigan and she doesn't know what the best play to call on third down is. You know, it's the biggest football school. They're going to rank number two in the country and she's going to go to these games and appreciate them in a totally different way. But then she, for me, and to play this, really playing out this metaphor, is the Stern character because I look at her and I interact with her and she, just by her actions, by her being such a wonderful young adult, being so ready to go, being such a good person is constantly telling me, but you've done right. enough. Mm-hmm. When I look at her or I talk to her, I know I've done enough and I know she's ready to enter the adult world. But there are these moments where you just sort of, especially lately, like, did I yeah. do enough? Yeah. Um, so like even with the poker thing, well, she didn't learn to play because she doesn't like to play. I do, but she doesn't. You know, mm-hmm. all this thing, you know, where you have two different kids and they have two totally different interests, you realize that the way you interact with them or how they experience things have to be uniquely them. And that's the, that's the beauty of it is that they choose who they are. And I've got one kid who knows exactly what play you'd call on third down. And mm-hmm. I have another kid who's actually going to the school that, you know, aligns with the football team that – I love, but is going to have the biggest blast in the world doing that in a different way sure. that I would. Right. You know, looking right. at you know what what do the kids wear to the tailgates or what it, yeah. what's the best way to experience this atmosphere? And it's more like you know less like watching a football game, more like attending an outdoor party or you know whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of it is that every kid is different, and that's how I kind of calm myself down. Is the reason I didn't teach her to play poker is she never wanted to learn. Mm-hmm. Because she doesn't care about that. Brian does, and Brian can yeah. tell you everything about poker and yeah. play real well. And if he was there, he would have probably cleaned out that table. <laughs> and he would have played because he knows how to play really well because I would, you know. So it's long, yeah. long answer to your very, very short question of how am I doing. But that – so I, I, I think I vacillate between being so peaceful and so comfortable with where things sit and how, you know – good a person we're sending out into mm-hmm. the world and on also just like a freak out of how did I yep. forget to teach her, you know, what an average length of a punt is or something, right. you know, little right. things like that. Right. Right. Um, so that's how I'm doing. Yeah. Well, I'm, <laughs> it all makes so much sense to me. Like it all, I'm right there with you. I feel the same, like that same kind of like teetering on like I've had those weight, those was one of the things that I was I made myself some notes around like, okay, how am I doing? Like what's coming up for me around this transition? And it's like there's that really similar piece that I'm holding about. Like and it feels like I feel it like almost like a like the first part of a panic attack, like that grip of like, oh shit, like the like a it hits me, like a thing like that. Like the, not the poker one, but right. the other morning Something I else. my sleep is all screwed up in this transition and the other morning I was just like wide awake and so I was came downstairs and was doing some work and then I went and sat on the back steps and was crying because I was like we didn't do enough crafts like why didn't we craft why didn't we do more crafts Mm -hmm. and it was that same like but when I look around the house I can see that's a craft we did that's with this table we refinished this table that you know whatever piece of art we you know we did that together there are so many things that we did but it's like that grip of like but there were more days and there were more projects there's things we didn't even parts of Michael's crafts that we never even explored and that's such a hard it's like such a both and right. right. Of, I think the I think the place that I'm at risk of going, which is a little unusual to hear that you are at risk of going because it's so much more familiar for me than you, is I get really self, I've been getting self critical. Right. Like I take that we didn't do enough crafts and it becomes right. a commentary on yeah. my priorities are screwed up right. and I da da da. But I think as I work with that, the thing that I know to be true is that we're always going to like how could we not want more right. because it's all. It's all pleasurable. It's all like it's all love. It's just right. love, and it's just and it's just like preciousness. Right. How can we not? I really don't think there's a world where we wouldn't have that longing. No, I think that's right, and I don't. And you're right. I think you're more inclined to feel self-critical, and I guess you're always lean that way. And I'm I'm less so. I, I'm I'm more just I think struggling with the concept of the time has passed. Yeah, you don't make it about 
Not usually, yeah. and in this case, a little bit. But you know, I do. Have, you know, but it's pretty easy for me to be reminded. You know, the the little stern in my ear or whatever right. you've done so much. Like yeah. I, I feel very comfortable with that. I feel like we've been good parents and we've done what we were supposed to do. Yeah, I don't feel like a lot of regret uh, or even a little regret. Yeah. Um, little moments here or there or this or that could have done this. You know, of course, but like it's you know. One of the only two things I ever cared to do in my life was be a good member of a family and do a good job with my work. And mm-hmm. I just so put maybe it's because I'm not spread out so thin. I mean, those are the only two things I care about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. pretty much. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I feel like I put in the time and did it, you know, as best I could and, and feel very comfortable with that. So it's more about the slippage of time for me than yeah. when I say, have I done enough? It's more like feels like. The slippage of time. Yeah. I don't feel like real self-critical on yeah. how did I let that slip or, you know, because I just, I don't know. I get very quickly the, the voice in my ear on you've done so much is it, it's, it's, it's the reflection of Courtney. It's not the voice of the, in the ears. Nobody's saying it. It's just seeing who she is. Like I, you know, what, what a great feeling that you're sending a kid off to college and you just know in every, with a hundred percent confidence with every fabric of your being that she's a person that if somebody's struggling there, she's going to help them. Mm -hmm. Or Mm -hmm. if somebody's like sitting alone at a dinner table, she might approach them. Like Mm -hmm. I just, I just know how good a person she is. Mm -hmm. I am reminded of that all the time, just being around her. So I don't, I, it's pretty easy for me to bring myself back, I guess. Yep. But I can't bring myself back from the fact that the time is changing and and the relationships are changing. Yeah. Yeah. Not that they're ending, but um, they're just, changing the time of her living in our house full time is ending that's ending yeah okay so the thing that we keep coming back to right is just knowing like that 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 feeling of but wait we didn't do this or that awareness of what didn't get done mm-hmm. is a reflection it's it's a reflection of love like it's a reflection of love and how much enjoyment there's been in yes. in this chapter and it's reminding ourselves of of what has been done, like of, right. of what we have, like focusing on like the bounty and the plenty and yes. what there has been right. and knowing that that tug just reflects. It's natural. I think. It just reflects love. Yeah. yeah. It just reflects who would not want more experiences that right. feel good and precious. Right. Yeah. Like being on vacation, who wouldn't want more? I think that's vacation. a good example. I mean, it's such a small micro dose, but yeah, that's, that's exactly how it feels like you go on vacation it's great and you want to stay and you know you have to kind of get back to the real world but who wouldn't want to stay longer if it goes well Mm -hmm. and our life has gone well I have moments where I get and I don't know if it happens for you I get really petty like if we're if I'm out somewhere especially if Courtney and I are out somewhere and we see like a mother and a daughter and the daughter's (laughs) like five I get so petty like the thoughts in my head about that woman I just get so crap I'm just like ah she has more time how does she get more time than me I get really Mm kind of um, gnarly inside of my head no I don't (sighs) have that one God, that one's not fun. No. Yesterday I saw a dad teaching his son how to ride a bike in a parking lot. And I was like, oh, look at that. He's like teaching his son how to ride a bike and right. we're packing this one up. No. Ugh. I don't have that one either. Yeah. The other one I've been feeling is just like a very much like a not me feeling. Like I don't, I don't feel like myself. And I, it makes me think about this research that Eli Finkel at Northwestern did where he tracked people who were going through a breakup mm-hmm. and he gave them a measure of like self-concept clarity, like how well you feel like you know yourself. And as these people were going through a breakup, their self-concept clarity scores like tanked and then kind of came back up, you know, as they mm. healed from the breakup. And so I think that that idea of feeling not quite yourself when you're being worked by a breakup, I think applies here. Like I don't quite feel myself because this huge part of my identity of being a mom of kids who live at home. I'm still obviously going to be a mom and you're still going to be a dad. Mm -hmm. But being a parent of kids who are at home, like that's such a big, like as the context of our house changes, I'm changing. And so I don't quite know like the version of me that doesn't have kids under my roof. So like when my birthday happened a couple weeks ago and you were like, what do you want? Like, what do you want for your sweet treat to be. It was like, I was like, I don't know. What do I, what do I like for a sweet treat? Like I, like I don't quite feel myself. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me to know what I like and what I'm about right now. And so I've been noticing that 
a lot lately and just trying to meet it with a ton of gentleness because how could I know? Because I'm, I'm being, like, as a person, as a human, I'm being worked by this really, really significant transition. So right. I'm trying to just like, let that be what it is. Yeah. I think that's a good lesson about all of it is, you know, there's no playbook for how you're supposed to feel, but it is, there's a lot going on mm-hmm. and you just kind of roll with it. And I don't think any of it's bad mm-hmm. or anything should be met with judgment about, oh, I wonder why I'm feeling this way. Right. It's a lot going on. Right. Right. It's a big transition. <sighs> yeah. And then I get very, I mean, this is kind of morbid, but the thing I would like to stop feeling is like scared. Um, because I just get scared of not having enough time, just like with some family health history and things. Like turning 50 is just kind of, yeah. Meh. Yeah. It's kind of a big blah for me just because my dad died in his 50s. And I just don't like to think about that. Yeah. And I am forced to think about that. Yeah. And I just, I guess scared is the right word. Forced because it's happening. Because forced because it's happening, meaning I am turning 50. And yeah, forced. I mean, everybody has to think about it, I guess. But I just have, you know, that family history. Um, not that it's binding. Um, it can happen to anybody who doesn't have that family history. But it's just, it's like, I don't know. I don't know how to not think about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I don't like thinking about that. And you don't like feeling scared. Correct. Yeah. Um, and we've had some real bad stuff in our little circle, too. Right. Which right. makes you think about it. Right. Like right. peers who are getting yeah. sick and one peer who died in an accident. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Not that that's because he's 50. He could have happened when he was 40. But it's just stuff like that happens and you get – I don't know. I just don't know how to not be a little more scared than I used to be. I think that's a great thing about being young. You're not scared. That's right. I was just thinking that it's, it's not – it is that's, – that's that kind of like – that's maybe your version of the not me feeling is that you're not used to being a guy who is – who feels scared about health or the precariousness of life right. in quite the same way that you are now. So yes. you're figuring out how do you live with that? How do you live alongside that fear? Right. Yeah. Well. When you figure that out, make sure to tell me. Right. <laughs> I don't know the answer to it. I, I, I try not to think about it much. Um, and I try not. I'm not the type of person that, well, if I think about it, it has to lead to changes in my behavior. I don't love that whole thing. Yeah. But I see there's something to it. The life is short. Why am I doing this? Do I, I'm, you know, life's too short to do anything you don't like. I'm not into that yeah. camp. But it might, I mean, but I... maybe some element of that is something I need to think about well, soon. I think that that it's feeling like it transitions us to the question of like, how are we doing? Because maybe part of the how are we doing is that we... I think maybe this is a nice thing about being with a partner who is same age, like we're the same age, you know, we're, we've been together for a long time. Like we're, we're doing this together. Like you have a different health history than, than me, but I think we're both, yeah, we both are, get scared about the preciousness of all of it. And so maybe part of the, how we hold on to the fear is we just kind of hold it together, you mm-hmm. know, hold that awareness together and make sure that we maybe in this next chapter, like really talk about what's what are our priorities and are we right are we living in a way that's aligned with what we're, with what we're saying is important you know are we spending our time in ways that reflect what we're saying is important yeah <laughs> you're not convinced <laughs> not really but because we both work too hard give it some more thought yeah i mean i think that's part of it i don't know yeah it's just a hard it's just a hard issue to wrestle with i don't know that there's a great answer to it i mean i i think some level of moderation on things or some worldview of nothing's too important, which I think I actually do okay on. Mm-hmm. I don't think I, I am overly, I'm not stressed on a day-to-day basis for the most part um, or I'm not unhappy, really. I, I quite like everything I'm doing. I just, mm-hmm. I just, It's just hard not to start worrying about that a little bit more. Right. And maybe it is because of all the transitions. Maybe after the transitions calm down and it's five months from now and everything doesn't feel like it's changing or ending or, you know, like you got to roll with the punches to think about this thing and here's this new thing and, oh, people are leaving, you know, one kid's leaving, another kid's leaving. You know, maybe in six months I'll just feel more, okay, this mm-hmm. is what it's like to be 50. But right now it's just a lot of – A lot of fear. 
A lot of fear and a lot of, well, if this and then this, or, you know, everything's changing. So it feels like everything starts changing in my head. Yes. Right. So everything's right. changing. So right. why wouldn't I think about, you know, what if I work till I'm 55? What if I work till I'm 65? What if I die when I'm right. 60? What if right. I die when I'm 80? You know, all these questions come up and, and you flip your head around all of them. And why wouldn't it kind of feels a little natural because all this other stuff is yeah. flipping around without me doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. What if your kid goes away? What if your kid, you know, that that's all happening. Right. So I, it's, I'm faced with change and transition, and then you just start thinking about other ones. Yeah. What would happen if this sure. happened? Mm-hmm. Or sliding doors. What if this, then this, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. I just think a lot about that. Yeah. And I'm trying not to get consumed by it. But maybe if it's two months from now and the transitions have slowed down and I'm still thinking about it, I should talk to somebody about it. Okay, do, good. Okay, good. Do something. But right now I'm trying to just realize it's normal. Maybe it's not normal. I think it's normal because, like you said, everything, when everything's up for grabs, then everything is up for grabs. So how right. do you not pull up every facet of life and kind of question it? That's what it feels like, yes. Okay. So how, how are we? <laughs> so let's, like, I'm going to share a little data. Okay. So here's what, the, here's what the science tells us about what happens to couples around this transition. Yep. So two kind of like competing pieces of data. Mm-hmm. One is that there's a well-established um, bimodal distribution of divorce, which means that there's like a peak in the risk of divorce around seven years into a marriage, which is when parents usually have yep. like, little like babies and toddlers. There tends to be like kind of a seven-year peak. Makes and then sense. there's a second peak around 20 years, which is around when people are sort of starting to look at that next chapter of who right. are, you know, what is this marriage about if it's not about centered around raising these kids. Yes. So under that piece of science, our marriage is a little bit at risk right now, <laughs> and we got we to gotta be careful. But yeah. the, other, the other thing that's true is that there is a U-shaped um, marital satisfaction curve, which is that pretty predictably relationship satisfaction starts to plummet when the first baby is born, yeah. goes drops even further when the second baby is born, right. and then picks up again as the babies leave the nest. And mm-hmm. so I think what the data tells us is that like strong marriages get stronger and marriages that are at risk, like fall the apart. yeah, around that the makes total transition sense, I think. fall apart. So that yeah, that makes sense. I, to it me. makes total sense, yes. Mm-hmm. And I feel not one, I, I, you know, after I just went through all the neurotic things I worry about, that's just not one I worry about. I'm, I'm quite excited for the next chapter just through the lens of just us. Mm-hmm. Um, that part feels easy. I mean, I, I think the two red flags I see, and these are really, really basic, but the ones that I think are very, very big red flags that I would be worried about, neither of which is anything we have to worry about, is number, well, three. One is just not getting along or not liking each other that much, mm-hmm. which a lot of couples, ones we know, ones we peripherally know, that's a huge problem mm-hmm. with people. They're just kind of carrying on or they're not particularly fond of one another or have much respect for you know the other person and, and they're staying clearly staying together for their kids. Mm-hmm. I think everybody must know some people who Mm-hmm. they would say, oh, I bet they're staying together for their kids. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like we are doing that or have ever been doing it. I don't feel a, a, an ounce of doubt about that. That was number one. Number two is living vicariously mm-hmm. through your kids too mm-hmm. much um, or being – not in a bad way, not in a judgmental way, but just even the amount of your own time that is taken up because of your kids yeah. I think is a big red flag or a big worry thing that I would be concerned about. We don't have that either. Maybe it's because our children were decidedly average at sports or whatever. But like, you know, we're not, I I think the the families or the couples I would be worried about in our circle are people where it's so, so centered around, you know, every this. Yes. We got to go to this. We got to go to this. We got to go to this. Um, you know, and then that ends and it's like, what do we do together or what, you know, and, and if there's enough built in, that's an easy problem to solve. But I think that's a big red, red flag of what I would worry about that I don't feel like. I don't feel like our day to day is going to be at all different or tough to fill or, you know, I'm not concerned about that. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is um, time by oneself because just even with mm-hmm. three kids, you know, or three people in the house with one kid leaving – we spent decidedly more time by ourselves, I think. This past, just we, the past two Brian years. Left yes. When Courtney was there. Yes. Mm-hmm. That, that, mm-hmm. that, 
sometimes it was you and Courtney doing something together and me by myself. Sometimes it was me and Courtney doing something together and it's you by yourself. Sometimes it was you and I doing something and Courtney's by herself. Everybody in the house had to get used to being by themselves more mm-hmm. when there's one fewer person and I'm sure it'll be exponentially higher when it's another fewer person. Um, and I think you and I are both very, very comfortable and content by ourselves. Mm. So I think there's a very low risk of any of us, you know, either of us slipping into, you know, depression or concern that others might face about being by ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're each by ourselves a lot. Yeah. I vacation by myself sometimes. You sometimes do. You know, I extend a trip by, you know, and go to restaurants. By, I, I do all sorts of things by myself. I may be mm-hmm. on the extreme of that, but I think you're very, also very comfortable mm-hmm. by yourself. And mm-hmm. I think we've got all three of those things working very much in favor of us. And I don't know if those are backed up by research. That's just me saying what I think are the three things that, you know, might be very challenging at this stage. But not only are those not challenging, if anything, they're they're kind of advantages for us. We really like each other. We really like spending mm-hmm. time together. We like being by ourselves. We're going to probably really be happy getting time back. I totally would bet on us to be on the right side of that U-shape, whatever you said, U-shape curve or whatever. Hmm. I just don't have a re- – I have reservations about a million things. That's not one of them. Yeah. Other than, you know, little bumps here and there or like the beginning, you know, I think you're going to be a little bit – Yeah. Dicey uh, right after. <laughs> dicey. <laughs> um, and I'm prepared for that. Uh-huh. But I don't. I just don't. Maybe I'm naive, but I'm old enough to not be as naive as I used to be. I think on this one, I, I think I'm just. I feel real ease, a real sense of ease about that. I love that. I love that. And it's not. And it's not that I don't. It's just that it a little bit feels like a like a black <laughs> hole. Like I'm not sure what it looks like. But what I've been doing lately is like pulling up memories of what our life was like before we became parents when we lived in the city and in that, you know, in our condo. And like, what did we, I was like, what did we used to do? I was thinking like, what did we used to do on weekends? Like what was a weekend for us mm-hmm. when it was just the two of us? And I have really like pleasant memories that were a blend of like time together and time alone. And then time, like I have so many memories of like you watching football and me quilting because I was right. 80 when I was 23 apparently. Right. And, um, you know, and like just being like in the same room, but not doing something mm-hmm. together. And so I, I think for, for some couples, like when they're a blended family, they don't have that chapter of before kids, you know, but right. we have that chapter of before kids. And so we are returning something that we once knew, but it feels like a million years ago and we're different than we were and we've had this whole experience of raising this family but mm-hmm. I have been finding comfort in those like memories of okay we used to know how to put together a weekend yeah I'm not worried about us. I'm just not yeah I'm hopefully you're not but Mm-mm. I don't feel worried I just feel a little bit like what are we you know I'm I'm a little I just feel strange about like Wednesday night dinner like what are, like, what are we doing yeah it's gonna be very strange so strange we've just we've been a family that has done right so, you know, just like so There's many It's definitely a priority to have four people at the table. Oh, for sure. Very, very often. And again, without like the sports and the, some of the things, like everybody did activities and things, but usually at school, like we didn't, a lot of people don't do that. A lot of families yeah. do not do that because there's practice every day, you know, after school or, you know, that that's just, it's for us. Yeah. We probably had five or six dinners a week at the dinner table yeah. for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 21 years. Yeah. Yeah. We went out sometimes, but, you know, it's just not like, oh, everybody grab your own thing or, you know, Mm-mm. different times or so-and-so's running here or there. We had a lot of that. That is going to be strange. Yeah, we're just going to have to reinvent that. I feel apprehensive about that too. You do? I do. I mean, just it's going to be weird. I don't want to do it like we used to do it. It's going to be sad and weird, but I just figure <laughs> we're going to do something different. Well, you want to start doing girl dinner. I do want to do girl dinner, yeah. <laughs> I think that's like the coolest thing that I read about or Courtney showed me or somebody oh, showed me yeah. on TikTok or whatever. Uh-huh. That's what I want to do, yeah. You want to do lots of girl dinner? Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe we might have to have our own, a different name for it. No, I think the name's pretty good, actually. <laughs> I, mean, I think if you opened your mind, you'd... Oh, I get my mind around Yeah, it. I think it's fine. Okay, so a uh, couple of questions that we didn't get to that people from Instagram had asked. Somebody was wondering how we talk to each other about the transition on a day-to-day basis. Um, Hmm. I don't think we do very much. I think you invite me to participate in a podcast. I show up and then we talk about it for an hour (laughs) and then we cross it off the list. Uh, I don't know. Talk about it in micro doses, little here and there, you know, Mm -hmm. how are you feeling with this or did you notice this or... 
what are we going to do about that? Hey, do you want to plan to go to Florida in the winter? Mm -hmm. You know, like just, I don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't really talk about it in a real narrative way. I just think, like you said, it's a black hole. We don't know what we're talking about yet. Yeah. I think we've just been talking about how are you feeling? Are you nervous? Are you? But we haven't talked about it a lot, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Right I now. think it's part of the nature of a transition, right? Like when you're in the in the thick of it, a lot of it is like there's the there's the emotions and there's the logistics. And there's been a lot of focus on the logistics. There's a, just a lot happening there's and we have a division of labor around that which of us is you know you're working on the paperwork and the insurance and the you know a lot of those behind the scenes kind of like creating the structure for these kids to launch you're buying a thousand bins one thousand trips to target for bins Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah and so right that's preparing for it yeah but Mm -hmm. right i think we have been much more focused on the logistics Mm -hmm. and the logistics are very distracting yeah yeah the logistics are distracting and maybe that's part of, I think that that's, I guess, when I'm thinking about couples in any transition, transition to marriage, transition to living together, transition to parenthood. Right. Weddings there's are the, distracting. Yeah. There's the, there's the doing and then there's the reflecting. I think that there's, I think couples need to have grace around how much they reflect while they're in the middle of it. Like it's a lot to ask to be processing while experiencing. Right. You know? Especially all the time, maybe once in a while, because I think if you don't think about it even a little bit, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a, could be real dicey. Mm-hmm. Yep. But we do, we have to, we walk, I mean, we go for walks every single mm-hmm. every day. We don't yeah, go we for Yeah, we don't always walk. talk about that, but talk about it, like I said, in micro, a little bit here and there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And then, and then, the other question is, how do you reconnect after a big tumultuous transition, which is kind of, I guess, maybe the next, you know, the next step is like, how do you, yeah, how do you kind of find each other again? Yeah. And we don't, we don't know yet, but I imagine, like you already hinted at that idea of having some grace for the different reactions. You yeah, know? and time, grace for the time that it takes to have the different reactions. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I'm going to be much more eager to do different things and kind of let's get going on this and you're going to need some more time. I'm predicting that. Hmm. So I'm readying myself for not all my ideas being met with enthusiasm, for example. <laughs> How will you be okay with that? Um, Just like you just said, kind of having grace for, you know, my reaction's not the only reaction. Everybody needs their time to get along to where they need to get and just just trying to put myself in your shoes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have to be careful to not like, like what therapists call like split the ambivalence. Like have one person hold all the excitement and one person hold all the grief. You yes. know what I mean? Like that. That I want. If you feel like you've got to like carry the torch for this is so exciting, then you don't get to also grieve. Right. And if I am, you know, if I'm only in grief, then I miss out on the chance to also be excited about who we get to be. Right. Once again, you know, with an emptiness. So we we just need to keep an eye out for that because I want to make space for – I don't want to, you know, I don't want to hold all of one part. And I don't want you to feel like you've got to hold all of one part. Right. You know. Yes. Or hold all of one narrative. Like even with people in our community or, you know, I, I, I do want to talk about how it's exciting to have time back and, you know, mm-hmm. and just there, there's a lot to like about transition too from mm-hmm. a couple standpoint or an individual standpoint mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we already have one kid already back and I already feel a little more relaxed and just in terms of my time mm-hmm. I don't feel as guilty working or doing this thing you know like people yeah. are doing their own things so I don't have to you know account for somebody else there's something very freeing about that are you saying that you don't want to feel guilty about feeling Correct. Okay. Right. Or feeling like you have to kind of right the, that you the, have the party to line go is, to the community. Oh, right. I'm done, but I yeah. can't get out of bed. Or you know, I, I I think I might be right out of bed and be very happy in yeah. some ways too, because it's you know just the the time has been a, a very very scarce commodity for yes. 21 years, yes. and time is probably going to be so much more readily available. Mm-hmm. I already feel it is, even mm-hmm. with one kid gone back. Mm-hmm. Every mm-hmm. time Brian goes back to school, third time now, the day after he goes back, I feel very sad. Like I miss him and I want to talk to him about stuff and, and there's things that I miss and then there's this like giant deep breath on time. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, if I have to work this afternoon and take a half hour, it's not going to take away from this or that. Like it, it just feels like the, the the day's 26 hours instead of, yeah. you know, 14 hours or something. Right. It's just like this huge relief on time. Yeah. And time has been a total enemy over, you know, that's, that's kids, raising kids is no joke about your time. That's what the, just the mental energy of your time and just how you spend your time raising kids is, it's a lot of work. That's why people shouldn't do it if they don't want to do it. (laughs) If they don't really, really, really want to do it. And it's, I'm not complaining. I'm just commenting on it. So I just even, just Brian being gone in the last, he's been gone for five days. I feel like I've had this weekend felt like five days mm-hmm, mm-hmm, instead of mm-hmm. three or yep. two and a half or whatever. Yeah. It was like, wow, that was a lot. And you, you get used to it again. Oh, my God, that's what a weekend feels like when there's, you know, he, especially because I kind of lean, you know, we've talked about being a little bit gendered in terms of like where we spend our hours. I spend a lot of time with him mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when he's here. And when he's not here, I don't spend any time with him. Mm-hmm. And I'm texting him and we're talking and doing things. But yeah. what a huge change in my time. Yeah. And a lot of that's positive. A lot of it's, you know, emotionally negative, but from the pure time standpoint. So right. I want to embrace that and appreciate that. That's going to be fun. Right. Right. You're you're saying nothing about your feelings about Brian, your love for Brian. No. You're saying something about um, what psychologists call the difference between time famine and time affluence. Like time famine is tied to unhappiness and time affluence is tied to happiness. Like it's, right. a, it's a huge indicator of I happiness. I think the People upper limit happy. on how happy you can be with like a one and a three-year-old because of time famine is probably it's so much lower <laughs> it's a very low ceiling is, i mean because you is. just don't have time it's of course and yeah. and there's just so much need and especially with yeah. the babies you know and the toddlers who just can't, can't get themselves dressed and you know mm-hmm. you know where we are with 21 and 18 that's like a totally different you, you know use Need. of time, but mm-hmm. still just having Brian live in the house and somebody who wants to do stuff and mm-hmm. all stuff I like doing, not even complaining, but just the mm-hmm. idea that I can paint the canvas and it's not, no part of it is already painted. Right. Right. Who doesn't like that? Right. In some ways. Right. Yeah. And maybe it will get boring at some point. I think that's what you worry about is, you know, that's the funny thing about life is you don't, you get it when you get it. Mm-hmm. I would have loved that when I was 40. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just didn't, didn't exist. Right. But that's that's how life works. That's the sort of you know irony of it is that you you know that's that's why I think that's why people get so excited to you know retire early or you know like while you're young. I mean, and people mm-hmm. say that all the time, and that is a real thing for sure. By the right. time I retire, I you know if I want to go run eight miles, like I might be able to do now i'm not gonna be able to do that probably (laughs) you know so like why wouldn't i do that now i mean that is what goes on in your mind is you know am i matching up my interests with my situation right because so much of one's adult life is not that way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when you're 30 you have all this energy and you can't spend it in exactly the way just you want Mm -hmm. because you're raising kids right 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 and we wouldn't trade it. Of for the, course, it's not no. About, and I'm not it's, suggesting no, it's not I would. About. It's just, it's just, it's just when the, you when that chapter closes, it's yeah. like, well, why wouldn't I celebrate having a little time, right? Or feel good about that? Why, why would I present to the world that all I am is, right? Sad that Courtney's off, not living here anymore, and I'm, you know, can't get out of bed, and I'm, mm-hmm. maybe I'll be real happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe <sighs> she'll be real happy too. That's the benefit: is that if if it all goes well, everybody's happy. Right. That's right. And that we've got, you know, you can teach her to play poker when she's 19 Maybe. or 20, yeah. like, you know, or somebody at school will teach her and close. she'll come home and right. she'll come home and show you her True. skills. True. <laughs> um, thank you for being here with me. Of course. We covered a lot of ground. I always enjoy being with you. I like being with you too. I have, I've already have ideas about the next, about Toddcast 3. So I'm already thinking about that. But I, I'm so glad that we had a chance to talk Anytime. about our transition. I hope it's helpful to people. I still, you know, when you said the show was the most listened to, I still don't quite trace the narrative of why it's so interesting other than maybe a glimpse into your your personal circumstances in a way that feels feels rewarding. Um, but hopefully it's helpful. Yeah. I mean, I, I got to think it's helpful just for people going through it, but I don't know. Right. I hope a 30-year-old could listen to it and I get think, something out of it. Right. I think that, I mean, 
I think it's why it's why my students really enjoy like when I'm teaching marriage 101. It's why students really enjoy talking to mentor couples and yeah. enjoy doing like a love template. Like I think it is interesting to hear couples talking about being in a relationship because we don't we don't have a lot of models of it. You know, we right. have these sort of like little glimpses from the media or right. you know song lyrics and all these different ways we see relationships. So to hear, right. I think part of it is just a little window into okay, how does marriage look over time? How do people keep kind of growing, right. you know, through life together. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, and whatever situation somebody's in, they can probably identify if they've got the one and the three-year-old. I'm sure they have thoughts on. Mm. Our hearts are with you. Yeah, it's a tough, <laughs> tough, tough, tough time for marital satisfaction. It's not a tough time for other things. No, it's, a, it's such a beautiful yeah, time. Yeah, cute and beautiful ways. time. But right. good luck, you know, ranking that as your happiest Married, you know, years as terms of couple satisfaction. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Mm. Our best time when married is when we had our little babies. <laughs> we had a little baby. We got along no. the best. Uh-uh. Right. No, because there is, right. It's just, there's, there's just so much urgency and so much need, and they're just so sweet. But yeah. Okay, my dear. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being on. Okay. I love you. Love you too. <laughs> Thank you, Todd, for joining me here again on Reimagining Love. I hope that you enjoyed hearing our conversation and listening to us process this transition that we're going through in real time. As you could clearly hear, change is hard and two people in an intimate partnership may very well, will most likely experience the same change in very different ways. What helps is approaching the new chapter as a team, making space for each partner's emotional experiences, whatever they are, and making sure to celebrate what deserves to be celebrated. I am sending you tons of love as you turn over your own new leaf this fall. Until next time, be well. Do you have a relationship question that you want answered on the show? Visit reimagininglove.com to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. If you're looking for more love and relationship content, you can find me on Instagram at dr.alexandra.solomon or visit my website, dralexandrasolomon.com, where you'll find my blog as well as the Intimate Relationships 101 e-course based off of the popular class I teach at Northwestern University. Thank you for listening and see you next week here on Reimagining Love.